Welcome to Theosophia, a podcast for women's voices in theology. I'm your host, Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and today's episode features my friend and colleague, Kate Dugan. Kate is a doctoral candidate at the University of Aberdeen and a curator for the BART collection at Princeton Theological Seminary. As y'all can imagine, she's one busy lady, so I'm really appreciative of the time she took to speak with me. In this first episode, Kate shares about her experience during the Charlottesville protests last August. Kate explains her dreadful confrontation with racism in the flesh, with her clergy friends as they counter-protested the alt-right white supremacist groups. This is a heavy story, but one that needs to be told. Here's Kate. So, Kate, when was this? I forget. August? August 12th. August 12th, 2017. Okay. And you drove up because you were meeting our mutual friend Brandy, who's up there still right now, right? Yeah. So um, I was actually running the BART graduate student colloquium that we have every summer now. And I drove down to Charlottesville um, for this protest that my friend Brandy was a part of. Um, She's a postdoc at the University of Virginia. um, And she was participating in this um, clergy nonviolent protest um, to protest the the alt-rights that were having their coming out gathering of sorts. Um, If you listen to a lot of news media or commentary on this, it was basically a time for a lot of online groups that were on the fringes in their views of, um, you know, white supremacy and all those sorts of things to come out and to meet um, and to show that they were a force to be, reckon with so to speak right right how many of them were there that's a good question um it seemed like there were an endless amount of them compared to the nonviolent clergy yeah. protesters and the other counter protesters mm-hmm. i don't know the exact number to be honest with you but i know that they outnumbered all of us that were on quote the other side um Mm -hmm. and they just kept coming in groups and groups as the day went on um well as the morning went on so it was it was really overwhelming to see that many people um you know that those uh, that people with those sorts of beliefs exist but when you see it in such a concentrated form in the flesh It takes on a whole new meaning, so to speak. Um, And when you see what those people actually look like when they're not on a computer screen anymore, when they look like your nephew or your cousin, it's, it's very overwhelming Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, to see that they look like, you know, normal people. They're not, um, they're not a cartoon, so to speak. In some ways they are because they have, you know, swords and shields and all those sorts of things. But if they didn't have that on, um, you would never know that they were um, a part of this kind of uh, right-wing uh, white supremacist uh, group. 
Wow. Yeah. And were they yelling? I know you said they were yelling particular things sometimes or marching around the group of priests and pastors that were linking arms and things. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much you want me to get into like explaining the background to your listeners. Um, yeah, go for it. I was going to say, like, I'd love to, yeah, just unpack yeah. some context I think would be helpful. Cause I don't think, you know, even when I like saw Charlottesville happening, mm-hmm. I knew there was all these white supremacists, like I clumped them all together, like they're white supremacy groups and there was going to be, Maybe I thought Black Lives Matter protesters there. And obviously I saw Brandy's picture. So I knew like some clergy and theologians were out there. Yeah. But I didn't really know why these people were coming together. And if it had anything to do with Trump being elected, like what what all was going on? And why did why why then do you think? Sure. Um, so I should start by saying that I am not clergy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm just a PhD student and I run the Bard Center at Princeton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not a part of the clergy in a proper sense, but my friend Brandy um, signed up for this clergy call, which was basically, um, which is basically a group of clergy that were organized by local clergy members in Charlottesville, um, Seth Wispelway and Smash Patty. They're two clergy members that are down there and do awesome work. And they basically knew that this Unite the Right rally was going to happen on August 12th. Basically, what was happening was um, they the Robert E. Lee statue, which was in this the center of emancipation park was being taken down and our country knows about yeah and our country knows about all the protests that are happening around the removal of these statues that um come from the uh come from a time in our country that um is very is very i don't i don't know what the word um you know um I don't know what the word is for it, a time in our country where it was the civil war and it promoted slavery. Um, So these symbols are very problematic and very difficult for people who, you know, are among um, minority groups in this country. And these um, white supremacist groups came to protest this, but it was also a moment for them to come out and to show their force in numbers, that they weren't just this kind of online fringe group anymore, but Mm -hmm. that they actually had numbers and that there were a ton of them. And uh, Trump, I think, empowered uh, folks like this to come from behind their computer screen and to come out and to be a part of this rally because there was a a level of normalizing that uh, happened through, through Trump. So these clergy wanted to nonviolently protest these white supremacists who gathered on August 12th. Um, and my friend Brandy, who is um, who is ordained, um, was going to be a part of this. She asked me if I wanted to come down. Um, and I agreed to be the person that would bail her out of jail. So the idea was that the clergy were thinking that they were probably going to have to be 
arrested because of the fact that the white supremacists um, had permission to um, hold this rally. And so the um, clergy members were going to to try to block the white supremacists from getting into the park. Mm -hmm. And because they were uh, infringing upon, so to speak, the rights of the white supremacists, um, the police had the obligation of arresting the clergy members. So that's what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. And my friend asked me if I wanted to come down and join this. And I, for very personal reasons, I had a family member um who was uh imprisoned three days prior to this protest i could not risk going to prison because i wanted to be an advocate for this family member and so i told her that i would just come down and i would uh simply be the person to bail her out of jail if she happened to be arrested Mm -hmm. Uh, long story short i ended up getting caught up in this protest itself and I ended up being on the clergy line protest and we um we walked from we walked about a mile outside of Emancipation Park which is in downtown Charlottesville to the perimeter of Emancipation Park in the morning. I think the protest was supposed to start around 10 a.m. or noon. I can't remember the exact time now, but we planned to to show up uh, prior to the alt-right showing up because the idea was that we would have enough clergy to line the park, Um, but they didn't get the clergy numbers that they expected. And Mm -hmm. so we only had enough clergy members to line the one side of the park. Um, So it was a very humbling experience uh, being there and being on this clergy line, because even though we were there hours prior to the alt-right arriving, there were still people that were there um, well before the protest was supposed to happen. And then um, there were also... um, I forget what the name is of it. Um, the the arms militia. Um, there were arms militia that that were there. Um, there were men who were um, a part of the who were who used to be a part of the armed services in this country who showed up with AK forty sevens and other weapons to try to quote keep the peace, so to speak. Uh-huh. So they weren't on either side, but they were also around the park and they were there um, prior to everyone else being there. And I don't know if you've ever seen an AK forty seven in real life, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's a pretty terrifying experience to see yeah. that. Um, so that sort of set the the stage for us arriving um when i first um saw people i um when we first got to the the park my first sight was seeing these men with ak-47s and i didn't fully understand what was going on at the, at the time because um i thought that they were law enforcement because i just assumed they had to be to have weapons like that and i had no idea that they were just civilians that were there basically trying to quote keep peace between the alt-right and these counter protesters yeah yeah so um basically for the first couple hours it seemed like a very long period of time um but for the first hour or so uh we sang um worship songs and we 
prayed. And as we were doing that, the alt-right protesters started to trickle in and they walked past us and um, they started mocking us and uh, saying pretty horrible things to us as the, as the time went on and as more and more people showed up. So um, I can remember a guy who had a shirt on, he had a Hitler's face on his shirt. It was a black shirt. It was a black t-shirt and he had Hitler's face on it. And then there was a swastika, underneath that. And, um, he knew we were Christians because most of us had clergy garb on, um, Christian clergy garb on. And he was screaming at us that, um, he doesn't understand why we were there because, um, he worships the same Jesus that we do. And it was kind of an out of body experience to have somebody say that to you with such, um, seriousness Mm -hmm. that they worship the same Jesus as you and they have Hitler's face on their shirt. Um, Mm. It just, it was, it was really a witness to um, how blatantly you can get completely caught up in the, in the power of Mm -hmm. lies and of um, propaganda and all those sorts of things. Um, and then men taunted us as the day went by. So there were very few women who were part of the alt-right. There were some, but they didn't really say much. It was mostly men. And they all, a lot of, yeah. And a lot of them assumed that we were um, lesbians because we were clergy members and we were females, um, which is problematic in so many ways. Yes. But That's interesting uh, too. Yeah. And so, you know, they would, there were some slurs um, leveled against women that were on the clergy line and not all of the clergy were uh, Christians. There were um, Jewish uh, protesters on the line. There were Muslim protesters. I mean, there was all different faiths that were on that line, but Mm -hmm. um, I think they just assumed based on seeing us what we were and why we were there. Um, And my friend Brandy, I, I identify as, as queer. And so it was, it was pretty heartbreaking just to um, hear these words come out of their mouth when somebody that I love so much is a part of the LGBT community and to hear yeah. people just so blatantly to her face, not online, not on Twitter, not on Facebook, but to her faces say things like this. It was just heartbreaking. And I just, it just made me um, so angry, but I couldn't say anything because you're trained not to engage in nonviolent protests um, mm-hmm. are formed around this um, idea of not engaging those who you're protesting and who are taunting you. And I had no idea how difficult that would, that would be. In fact, my friend was laughing at me because there were times I wasn't trained quite the same way that all the other people were. Cause I, I wasn't there for the training cause I just came down for the, day, but I knew that I wasn't allowed to say anything. And I had men come up to me and say things like, uh, they, they were just saying mean things. And, um, and I'm, I'm trained to debate people, to speak my mind, to, right, right. <laughs> to, re, to respond back. And my friend was making fun of me because there are times when men would say things to me and my, my head would just prop up and I would get so angry. Like, and I would just want to like, I would just want to almost fight them, <laughs> but I couldn't say anything. And, 
And my friend would just be like, Kate, just stay calm. Just don't say anything. And it was really hard for me because, you know, these guys were basically saying, you know, where did you go to school? Where's your training? Do you even know what the books of the, uh, what books of scripture there are? Like how many books in the, uh, in the in scripture there are and they would just ask us all kinds of questions just like testing us and things like that and I could run theological circles around all these guys you know what I mean but I couldn't say anything because I was um, supposed to be a part of this nonviolent protest so mm-hmm. um, yeah so it was just very difficult just enduring that kind of abuse um, mm-hmm. and it and they were saying things against me that um that weren't necessarily as harmful as they were to people that were a part of the marginalized groups that they were trying to use, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any, uh, clergy of color? Yes. Um, I'm trying to, yes. Well, Cornell West was uh, a big part of the group. Um, he Mm -hmm. was the front of the line, um, and then uh, there was a man named um, um, there was a man named Reverend Seku uh, who is awesome, um, and he basically was a bit was one of the main organizers of the event there, um, and he was really inspirational. He led us in song, um, and so it was uh, it was led by. Um, a diverse group of clergy members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting. I mean, just having, <laughs> again, you're, we're always taught about, you know, confronting racism within um, the academy in, in explicit and, implicit ways and how to um, confront that in the ways that we think and how we speak and um, how we engage. And it's, it's really unnerving when you witness it in such a concrete form face to face and it's not online Mm -hmm. such that people show up and they start chanting black lives don't matter Mm -hmm. and people chanting, um, you know, um, people saying slurs against the LGBT community and saying that, you know, F, F them. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a, it's kind of an out of body experience. Cause it's like, um, I don't know. It just, it, it really puts you face to face with darkness in such a way that you've, you never really knew existed because um there's just a kind of politeness to our racism Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, and there Mm -hmm. was just such a lack of shame um, and such a, a a glee about this hatred that they were espousing. Mm -hmm. um, That was uh, something that I've never experienced quite like that. And maybe I, I have, I've definitely encountered very racist people, but I think the thing that really set it apart was the number of people that were espousing that at one time in such a concentrated place. I don't want to seem as though as if I'm naive and I've never experienced blatant racism or I've never experienced um, a white supremacist, but I mean, we're talking in the thousands uh, right Mm -hmm. in front of your face. So that's just a, a very few people 
have witnessed something like that. Even I, I believe Cornel West said that he had never experienced hatred on a scale like that before in his lifetime. And that's Cornel West speaking. So I think that actually says something. I think so too. Yeah. That's just blowing my mind trying to put myself, you know, in your shoes, thinking about being there. Um, yeah, I um, part of me wants to just sob, you know, just like mm-hmm. weep, and then part of me wants to get angry. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I just it's difficult. the The most striking thing you've already said it to me was the guy saying we worship the same Jesus. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And like, what? Yeah. How is that? I. <sighs> In some ways, it's it's so shocking, you know, because uh, it, it is shocking because <laughs> um, you know, I've I've been to seminary, um, I've read I've read Cone, I've read a lot of liberation theologians, so it is shocking just to see the complete negation of everything that I've read. And then in another sense, it's not shocking whatsoever. I mean, we're the country that basically was um, whipping slaves in one hand and had a Bible in yeah. the other hand, you know, yeah. and, um, and we're the country even now that, I mean, Jesus is as white as he can be, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's, it isn't shocking whatsoever. So it, it was this, it was this weird um, paradoxical experience where it was really a mirror of American Christianity and then also just a complete judgment upon it too at the same time. Um, and it, it was, it was really overwhelming to process all of that because again, you hear about, you know, the German church um, becoming um becoming um, intertwined with Nazi power. um, And you wonder how could that ever happen? And then (laughs) you see people with Nazi t-shirts on and they have no sense of how um, problematic and contradictory that is. And it's, Mm. it becomes very, um, becomes very overwhelming to see how easily people can be wrapped up in just a complete lie Mm -hmm. and not only just a complete lie, but one that literally costs lives. And it did that day. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It took a long time to process and to really, uh, understand the impact of what had, what had happened. I I had no idea going down there that what, was yeah. going to happen was going to happen and it was going to be on the national scale and that it was going to be on CNN. I, I had no idea. I was just mm-hmm. going to bail my friend out of jail at another protest, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it took a, it took a while. Um, but it really did shape my life in some profound ways, theologically mm-hmm. speaking. Um, and yeah, can uh, we talk about that a little, you say something in your piece of, you realized how deeply you're already a part of the violence of white supremacy, even Mm -hmm. if you've committed yourself to nonviolent protest. Sure. Um, And you wondered what it means to witness against white supremacy today as a white Christian in light of the rise of the alt, alt right. Um, Well, uh, 
I think there's two things about that. There's the use of nonviolence that um, I struggled with very much after I was a part of this nonviolent protest, and then I witnessed the um, the counter protesters of Antifa and some other groups that were there who use violent means to defend my uh, friends and actually save their lives. So there was that aspect of it. Mm. And then there was also just the aspect of what does it mean to be a Christian when somebody with a Nazi t-shirt on is saying that they're a Christian? It just, it just doesn't seem like it's enough to say, Oh, I worship a different Jesus than that. That guy does. And that guy doesn't understand who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't think, um, there's really a true grappling with how um, almost inseparable Christianity has become or has been with white supremacy, with slavery, mm. with colonialism, with patriarchy, mm. <laughs> with heterosexuality. I mean, it's just, it just goes on and on. And that's, yeah. and that's become a kind of a, uh, a thing that people say now, but when you really witness it in a face-to-face kind of way with somebody who is, such a blatant white supremacist, you really have to ask yourself, where do I go from here as somebody who confesses to be a Christian? And what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And why should anybody care? You know, mm-hmm. um, and not in like an apologetic sense, but in a real way, like what does it truly mean to be somebody who thinks that God has, um, has acted in the person of Jesus Christ Um when that, when there are people who think that that same God supports their racism mm-hmm. and their their views that leads to such devastating suffering and oppression of countless people, and is there anything that can be redeemed about Christianity? And and that's just mm-hmm. that's something that I mm-hmm. I'm still working through, and I probably will for the rest of my life if yeah. I'm going to be honest. Um, so there's, there's one, so that's one aspect. And then the second aspect I would say is, so I've been struggling for a pretty long time with the use of violence as a Christian and what that means. I, I wouldn't say that I was a necessarily a pacifist and I wouldn't say that I was pro-violence going down into the protest against the alt-rights in Charlottesville when I uh, joined the nonviolent clergy protest. Uh, I would say that I probably leaned in the pacifist direction, um, but that I still had issue with saying that those who are oppressed cannot use the means by which they see fit to uh, struggle for their own freedom. Um, And so I, I, it was difficult for me because um, I think nonviolence is so often seen as the Christian way, or at least in my experience in the academy, it's sort of championed as probably one of the best ways of going about living the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And then you're there and you're face to face with these very violent people Hmm. and you're committed to this nonviolent clergy protest. And you're completely outnumbered. There's about a couple dozen of you and there's hundreds of these very scary <laughs> white supremacists 
And all of a sudden, um, the counter protesters who are not a part of the nonviolent clergy protests come in and they're chanting things like black lives matter They're And they're saying things like, um, not basically they're witnessing against everything that the alt-right are saying. And in a sense, they are being the, the true Christian witness in that space. And they, they come in and they, um, they basically use violence to defend your friends who would have gotten trampled on by these alt-right folks if these counter-protesters didn't step in. And you just wonder, like, you just wonder um, if violence is necessary Mm -hmm. um, when you're facing down the evils of white supremacy and what that actually looks like. And it's not as easy anymore just to say, Mm -hmm. no, you you have to remain um, nonviolent as a Mm -hmm. Christian. Yeah, this is why we had whole classes at Notre Dame called Just War Theory. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I get nervous about it on a kind of Just War level because any time that the state is making decisions about the use of force in terms of war against another country, I'm just automatically opposed to that because I tend to uh, just be very suspicious of power. but I think on a more local yeah. organizing level, um, it, I just questions about the use of violence against people who are threatening your life mm-hmm. in such a concrete way. Um, it just wasn't easy for me any longer to yeah. say that that was um, that was no that was that was wrong in such an unqualified sense, you know. Yeah. So, and even people on the outside, when they saw it on CNN, all they saw was just people beating people up. They just saw both sides in such an equal way. And that's, Mm -hmm. that isn't really what I saw. Um, So um, they, I see, I've, I've heard Christians um, talk about how both sides were equally wrong. And uh, I, I think that's such an irresponsible statement to make. Um, even if you weren't there, I don't think you can say both uses of violence were equally wrong when one side was basically witnessing to their right to be white supremacists and one side was witnessing against that and trying to advocate for, for those who are always caught on the side of of being um, vulnerable within our mm-hmm. country, uh, within the history of our country. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, this is deep stuff. <laughs> it brings up so much. Yeah, it's an endless kind. Con- it's a, it's a lot. People have wanted to talk to me about this a lot over the last couple months, and since it happened last mm-hmm. summer, and I always find that there's just something new to to talk about with it because yeah. it really is a kind of um, it's a kind of nexus for for so many different issues and so many different questions. Oh, yeah. that we ask on a more academic. Mm-hmm. level and it, it it became real in such a way that I never thought it would become real yeah. So, yeah. yeah I have a tough time talking about evil and darkness and like Satan being alive and working mm-hmm. like it's it's maybe it's part of like my evangelical upbringing like I just it's done so much more harm than good for my life so I've just kind of like don't see 
these like you know good versus bad forces happening in the world anymore i just kind of see like i don't know it's a lot more gray than that i guess for me anymore but but this is like really bad stuff happening and i don't i don't know if i want to like really find meaning in it Mm -hmm. i'm a big fan I like to always say like Good Friday is like the one day where like there's just no theological meaning happening. Like it's just chaos and darkness. And a lot of people don't like that. Mm. But um, like I can't explain these things. Like these are those things in life. Like I I just, there's, I don't have words. I don't have a good theology. I just, there's no meaning to me. Um it's evil that profound, you know? Yeah. Or just, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, I grew up in an evangelical context, just like, just like you, it seems. Um, I was told that, you know, there's Satan and demons and all those sorts of things. And um, I completely, completely understand the struggle with trying to make sense of that and being adverse to that um, language and that conversation and those beliefs. I will say that um, I don't know if anybody else at, in the clergy line or anybody else there had this experience, but for me, um, that event cannot be summed up by just the uh, culmination of individual actions happening. There was something of excess going on there such that there was a power working there that was beyond the um, Mm. culmination of the groups of people that were there. And it was pretty intense. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that uh, there were demons or or Satan there, but I do think that there is a power of death yeah. working there um, that was quite profound. Um, mm, power and- of death. I like how you said that. I've I've had a similar feeling before. I'll share with you in a minute, but keep going. Yeah. So, um, and and this is just this is just Paul, really. <laughs> Romans five, First Corinthians fifteen. Um, basically just death as a power within this world. Um, you know, when I was, I was on this, my friend Brandy was on the, uh, stairs that were going up to the park, trying to block the, uh, white supremacists from coming into the park. And up, up until this point, there were some, there were some conflicts, um, when the counter protesters were encountering the alt-right that were coming into the park, but there wasn't the kind of widespread violence that had that, that kind of widespread violence wasn't happening yet that you saw on CNN constantly. Um, and I can remember a point where the violence broke out when I was standing on the ledge right next to the steps, making sure that she was going to be fine, that she was safe. And I can remember just looking out and seeing the hundreds of people just fighting. <laughs> um, and I lived in New York where people get in fights, pretty intense fights. <laughs> um, but just looking out and seeing all these people just fighting constantly, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, tear gas going off, people bleeding, uh, people screaming. It was just, there was a power of death working there that I can't quite explain. Mm. Um, and there are just these moments that go beyond description where you, you know something's happening there, but you can't quite name it. And mm. it was so beyond, I think, what these people even knew that they were participating in. And yeah. it was, it was really overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was very m- meaningful at the same time. It, right. it, it felt like judgment even in itself as I was looking out onto this. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Kate, for sharing your story of Charlottesville. These types of experiences are difficult for the human family to understand and know how and what to do. I don't know if either Kate nor I have any real answers, but we wanted to share the story to perhaps begin a conversation and think more critically about how we ought to live out our faith or just simply how we might live as happy, healthy humans in a broken world with hate and death all around us. Join us next week as we explore the theological question of death. Kate and I dive into her dissertation work on Paul's apocalyptic understanding of sin and death. As always, please rate and review us on iTunes and check us out at theosophiapodcast.com and theologycorner.net. Have a great week, y'all. Peace.